Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I want to say thank you so much, Brother Jerry, for that powerful song, that powerful testimony. Thank you, sir, for it. Uh, it goes along very well with the passage of Scripture that you and I will be sharing tonight. I want to preach on the whole chapter. I'm only going to read the first part of the chapter. Uh, the title of this message is, What the Best Life Does for the Hurting. Jesus' life was the best life. And your best life will be the Jesus life if you and I choose to live the Jesus life. His life provides the best example of what the best life can be. And in Luke chapter 7, Luke shows us what Jesus did for those who are hurting. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I thought it was interesting tonight when Trevor led us in our prayer time, how many times I heard the word suffering and the words hurting, and how many of you referred to our need to reach out and uh, speak or offer ministry to those who were suffering and those who were hurting. Every week, 
uh, Judy Long works hard to develop our prayer list. She does it in conjunction with Miss Rebecca Thompson and Miss Sarah Bentley. And uh, if you see it, it's a pretty extensive prayer list, as extensive as any churches our size I've ever seen. And you go down that list and you will find a lot of people with cancer and they're suffering. And along with every person who's suffering cancer, there is a family member, at least one, usually more, and they're suffering and hurting. On that prayer list, there are people suffering from old age, and they and their spouses are hurting. On that prayer list, there are people with Alzheimer's. On that list, there are soldiers. And with every one of those soldiers, especially those overseas, there is a family member who hurts for every day that that person is overseas. On that prayer list, there are missionaries serving every day, uh, often wondering if anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place, is thinking about them and praying for them and giving to support them. Everywhere we turn, there are people who are hurting. Uh, I had a mentor of mine many years ago up in North Georgia when I first started out preaching. His name was Robert Martin, and Robert came up to me one day, one of the most well-respected, he was one of the most well-respected preachers in North Georgia, and he said, Jim, he said, there's a broken heart on every single pew in every service where you preach. And he said, if you are able to touch the foundation of that broken heart, you will never do without a congregation to preach to. I thought it was great advice because I know that what he was saying was true. We could go up and down these pews today in this service right now. And the vast majority of the folks in here, if not every single one of us, would have some hurt that is on our hearts. Some concern that causes us to struggle. Some problem that is causing suffering in our own lives. The author of the Gospel of Luke is also the same person who authored the book of Acts. Although Paul wrote more books of the New Testament than anybody else, Luke wrote more text in the New Testament than anyone else. He only wrote two books, but put together they equal to more than anything else that anyone else wrote in the New Testament. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that this person, Luke, was also, in addition to being an author, he was a physician. He was a medical doctor. And if you are aware of that, and you go back and you start with Luke chapter 1 and go all the way through the last chapter of the book of Acts, and you look at it trying to find little pieces, bits and pieces that a, that a medical doctor would be interested in. It is quite a study because Luke was fascinated with Jesus dealing with people with sicknesses. He was fascinated with Jesus raising the dead. He was curious about how Jesus dealt with people suffering with depression and disenchantment. And as a medical doctor certainly would, we find him looking carefully at Jesus as Jesus reached out to hurting people, hurting people with different types of problems. 
In Luke chapter 7, Luke describes Jesus reaching out to four different individuals. Four people with different problems, and their problems resulted in the deepest kinds of hurt. And what Jesus does for uh, these four hurting people is an indication of what God wants us to do for hurting people with whom we also come in contact. I want to show you these four people. In these 50 verses, there are four people that he deals with. The first person is immediately introduced to us in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. I call him the dying servant of a benevolent centurion. A centurion was a Roman officer. It wasn't often that the Jewish leaders were on good terms with a Roman officer. But in this case, they were. This Evidently, this unnamed centurion was quite a wise man. He knew how to get along with people. He knew how to get things done. I remember in the Old Testament, when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, first became king in Israel, uh, Solomon had taxed the people very heavily. And when Solomon died and left Rehoboam to uh, be the next king, He had some older advisors, some wise men who came to him and said, Solomon, if you want these people to eat out of your hands, lower their tax burden. And when you do that, it will convince them that you are for them and you will literally have them eating out of your hands, doing whatever you want them to do. And and Rehoboam said, well, I'll think about that. And then he turned and he went to some guys his own age, young whippersnappers. And he said, well, these older advisors have counseled me this way. What do you say? And those guys said, listen, you don't need to lower their burden. You need to increase their burden and let them know who's boss. You need to let them know that you're the one who's boss. And Rehoboam listened to the unwise and immature counsel of his his peers instead of listening to the advice of those older than he was. And he lost the kingdom. In fact, because of what, because he did not listen to the older men, the nation of Israel split in two. Ten of the tribes seceded and went northward. The remaining two became the only two tribes over which Rehoboam had any authority whatsoever. He lost the kingdom. In this particular story, there's a centurion who was a far better uh, uh, interpersonal relationship person than Rehoboam was. This centurion knew that if he wanted to get something done, he had to get along with people, even those that normally centurions from Rome would not get along with. The religious leaders said, this centurion loves our nation. What nation? The nation of Israel. This centurion loves our nation, and not only has he loved, does he love our nation, but he has built our synagogue. What in the world? Here is a man, a Roman centurion, not a person of Jewish faith, but yet he loves the nation of Israel, and he even contributed toward and helped to build their synagogue. Well, this centurion had a servant, a servant that he, the centurion, Uh, very much loved. And this centurion, this uh, centurion servant became sick and according to verse number two was about to die. And so the centurion heard about Jesus and he sent the elders, these religious leaders with whom he'd engaged in a friendship. He sent these religious leaders to Jesus 
and asked him to uh, heal his servant. They went to Jesus, verse 4, and they pled with Jesus earnestly. They said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. He's built our synagogue and Jesus went with them. Now, as it turns out, the centurion was not asking for Jesus to come to his house. It wasn't that he didn't want Jesus there. It wasn't that he felt too good for Jesus to be there. He didn't feel worthy to have Jesus come into his house. And so what he was really asking for was just that Jesus heal the servant long distance. Now, that took a lot of faith right there. You know, usually people think, well, that he, he's got to lay hands on him or at least send one of his handkerchiefs to us or, or, or cut the bottom off of one of his robes and let us just lay it on the person or something like that. And Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus was on his way to see this guy and the centurion said, no, all I wanted you to do is just speak the word. He said, I know how that works. He said, I am a, a, a person who's a supervisor over other officers. I tell this one, you go there and he goes. You, this one, you come here and he comes. I tell this one, you do this and he does it. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. He says, I understand that. So just speak the word and I know that it will occur. The Bible says that Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at the faith of this non-Jewish non-Israelite Roman soldier. And so he sent the the centurion's friends back to him. And when they got home, they found the centurion's servant healed. Jesus cared for the dying servant of a benevolent centurion. No doubt a servant who liked the centurion, was not of the same nationality, not of the same social background, not of the same geographical background as was Jesus. But Jesus saw him as someone who was hurting and Jesus reached out to him. Then second, in this chapter, there's not only the dying servant of a benevolent centurion, but there's a dead son of a grieving mother. This is a very interesting part of the story. The Bible says that Jesus went to, to a town called Nain, and the Bible says that a large crown went with him, and as he approached the town gate, he entered, you've done it, you've had it happen to you. You ever been going down the road and you met a funeral possession? You're in a hurry. It always happens when you're in a hurry, doesn't it? You have to pull off. You have to pull off to the side of the road, and you pull off, and the funeral procession comes by. It's always going to be a long one, isn't it? Jesus is on his way into town, into the town gate when he meets a funeral procession and he finds out that the procession is of a young man who is dead. His father was dead. He was the only child of his mother. The mother was a widow. Do you hear the hopelessness in that story? Do you hear it? Verse 12, as Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Let me tell you, the nail is shut on the box of hope for that woman. The Bible says that Jesus' heart went out to her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And he went up and he touched the casket that the boy's body was lying on and the bearers of the casket, the the, uh, pallbearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. You ever been to a funeral like that? Wouldn't you love to be at a funeral like that? Get 
up. And verse 15 says, the dead man sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I heard uh, three men who were talking the other day and they were thinking about their end of life issues and how they wanted to be remembered when they died. And they were talking more about it. And finally, they got to talking about their funeral service. And one of them says to the other two, said, well, how would you like to be remembered? What would you like to have said over your body when you're in your body's in the casket there at the church or the funeral home? And one of them said, well, I'd like, uh, you know, I've tried to work hard and be a good father. I hope that uh, they'd be able to say that I was a hard worker and a good father. And the second one said, well, he said, I hope they'd be able to say that I was a Christian. I, I, I was a man of faith and that I was a good father. And, and, the, and the, they turned to the third man. They said, well, what would you like to have said over your body? And he said, well, he said, I just kind of like to say, to hear somebody say, look, he's moving. <laughs> well, anyway, all right. So they said, look, he's moving. They really did. He's moving. The dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe. I bet they were. And praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding uh, country. There was the dying servant of a benevolent centurion hurting. And Jesus touched him. There was the dead son of a grieving mother. And Jesus touched him and helped both of their suffering. And then, beginning with verse 18, there was the unrelenting depression of a disenchanted prophet. I love this passage right here. It begins with verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him all about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord. Now, if you know anything about this story here, you know that John the baptizer by this time has been put in prison in a place called Macarus, which is on the other side of the Jordan River in the modern day Jordan. It's, it might as well be the land of Nod. John the Baptist criticized Herod because Herod had stolen his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and had married her. And so John openly criticized him for it. John was a no-holes-barred, speak-the-truth, straight-at-you, blunt honesty. And Herod didn't like it, and so Herod had him put in prison in the prison in Macris over in modern-day Jordan. And John, while he's in there, gets depressed. Can you imagine that? When you first meet John the Baptist in the Gospels, could you ever guess that he would suffer with depression? Could you ever guess that? The Bible says that he sent two of his disciples to the Lord. And get this question now. This is in Luke chapter 7. Last time we saw John, he was on fire for God baptizing people. People were lining up in the Jordan to be baptized by him. He baptizes Jesus. The man is on fire preaching. And the next time we see him is right here. And here's what he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Are you the one... Who is to come, or do we need to be looking for somebody else? Do you hear the pain in this great man of God? Do you hear the pain in this, the last of the Old Testament type prophets? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? John the Baptist had become so disenchanted 
that he came to doubt whether this man Jesus, whom he had baptized, who when he heard the when he was baptizing him, the voice of God the Father affirmed his son. The Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. John saw it. And yet, in this prison, he had gotten the point of great disenchantment, even with Jesus. Verse 21 says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sight to many who were blind. You see Jesus helping the hurting. So he replied to the messengers, John disciples. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed to the poor and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And they went back with that great news to John. We'll have to wait until we get to heaven to find out if the news that got back to him was enough of an an antidepressant to help him before he was beheaded. Jesus turned then to the people who witnessed this conversation. Because you see, people immediately will think, many people I'm sure would have thought, well, This John wasn't what we thought he was, was he? He wasn't the the giant hero of faith that we thought he was, is he? And so they might have been thinking some bad things, placing a stigma on John. And Jesus said this. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see when you went to see John? Did you see a reed swayed by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Oh, no. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I'll tell you more than a prophet. For this is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, and he's speaking to his disciples about John, among those born of women, there has not been one greater than John. Jesus reaching out to a dying servant of a benevolent centurion, the dead son of a grieving mother, the unrelenting depression of a disenchanted prophet, and finally the extravagant gesture of a guilt-ridden woman. After the episode with John, the Bible says that there was a woman And the Bible says that this woman, when Jesus was invited to have dinner with one of the Pharisees, came in. And verse 38 says, as she stood behind Jesus with an alabaster jar of perfume, an alabaster jar, which if you study this particular jar of perfume, it was expensive. It was worth a year's salary. And the Bible says, verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping with this alabaster jar of perfume, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet and she poured perfume on his feet. What's the religious Pharisee doing? (laughs) When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, don't you love it when people start talking to themselves? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he really were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, for she 
is a sinner. And it's true she was, because verse 37 says that there was a woman in that town who lived a very sinful life. This was that woman. And so verse 40, Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, this is not Simon Peter, this is a Pharisee at whose house he's eating. He says, I've got something to say to you. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He says, you've judged rightly. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, as he's looking at the woman, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume, costly perfume, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Four people, all four hurting with very different, very different problems, very different concerns. And our Lord took the time to touch every one of them. Jesus cared for and reached out to the hurting. And if you and I desire the best life, then we too must have a heart for the hurting and reach out to them. To do anything less is to betray the lifestyle of Jesus. I'll never forget, three years ago I was preaching a series in the fall on the minor prophets. One sermon per minor prophet. There are 12 of those. That means for 12 straight Sunday mornings, I preached on the minor prophets. And on two-thirds of those sermons, I had to deal, and I say had to intentionally, I had to deal with the issue of social justice. Social justice is reaching out to the disadvantaged and the poor and the hurting all around us. I'll never forget it because about two-thirds of the way through that series, as we approached Thanksgiving, I received a letter from a woman who told me to stop preaching about social justice. Ladies and gentlemen, if a preacher stopped preaching on social justice, he'd have to cut out most of his Old Testament and all of the Gospels.
the best life reaches out to the hurting. Let's pray. Father, the challenge of your example and the challenge of your word is so great that we cannot ignore the imperative that you left us to reach out to those who are hurting. Not to make excuses, not to come up with good rationale for how, how or why we should not, but we should just look at your example and just do it. For if we don't want to do that, then Lord, we need to cut about three-fourths of your word out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.